All right, kiddos, you're dismissed. Thanks for worshiping with us. Uh, we have a shortened time this morning because we're going to be, as Greg said, um, taking the last few minutes of our worship service and just giving you an opportunity to meet community group leaders and uh, to rub shoulders with them, ask logistical questions, whatever else might be there. So um, I'd invite you to pull your Bibles out, and if, you're, uh, if you have a bulletin, just to pull the notes sheet out, that would be a good, good time to do that. Let me ask this, by, by raise of hands this morning, how many of you are claustrophobic by nature? Don't worry, I'm not going to put a pillow over your head or anything, okay? Yeah, decent, decent percentage of you. Um, they, they say, I'm not sure if this is true, but they say if you, if you want to overcome your fear, sometimes what you should do is you know, go and, and, and uh, experience your fear in great measure. Um, and so um, let, me just, let me just toss this out to you. Even if you're not claustrophobic by nature and you wouldn't classify yourself as that, um, if you travel a lot and airplane seats are starting to feel kind of cramped to you and you, you feel a little frustrated by the lack of legroom, um, I would just invite you to go try a, ch- a, a train in China. Uh, if you're on a train in China, by and large, uh, it will look something like this. I was on a trip a couple of years ago, and we were on a multi-hour trip from one part of China to another. And I was standing there. Uh, I was standing here just like this. And my arms were at my side, and I thought, this is going to be a sweet few hours. Because there's just some good body odor in here, and, uh, you know, that's cool. So I was sitting here like this, cruising along. I'm like, this is not like any train I've ever taken, you know, which is like BART and light rail. So <laughs> a little different. And as I'm standing there, um, I kind of get this weird sensation down on my left arm. And, um, and I, I, I feel someone doing this to me. I feel someone rubbing my arm. And I'm standing there going, well, that's weird, you know. So I had to, like, you know, move my head around so I could look over. And I look over, and here's this, she's probably 80-plus years old. This little old Chinese woman's petting me. <laughs> and she's just smiling up at me. We're in the deepest, darkest parts of China where they don't see a lot of white people. And evidently, you know, they don't have a lot of hair. I, t- I tend to have plenty. So she's petting me like this, and I couldn't move. You know, so I was just smiling back at her like we had made a little connection. And then I was like a little to the left because it was starting to itch, you know. No, not really. Um, I'm not a claustrophobic person, but that was, that was starting to get borderline. Um, it's all kind of relative, though. Uh, if you're from India and you're used to taking the trains there, you actually feel downright lonely when you're in China. Um, because in, in India, evidently, they really make use of their space and, uh, and you know, travel, travel close together. This morning, uh, we're talking about community, and we're kind of making a way, our, our way around the worship community share um, idea of, of church. And I realize this, that when we, talk, we start talking about community, is that, um, is that sometimes people get a little bit scared by that. We all long for community. There's no two ways about it. On my way to church this morning... Um, I see this really cool, it's like an Irish setter kind of a dog, some kind of a cool dog. And this lady is walking this dog, and she's pointing up at the tree talking. And I look around, and I realize she's not talking to anyone but her dog. And I've, I've got community on the brain. I'm like, see, there's evidence that we all long for community. She's chatting away to her dog, you know, pointing out something about the tree. But sometimes when we start talking about community, people get a little bit panicky and nervous and um, and it starts to make your blood sweat a little bit, or your blood sweat. It starts to make your palms sweat a little bit, and your blood pressure go up. Because you start, you start remembering either bad experiences or, gosh, what, what uncomfortable thing is Dave going to have us do this morning that's going to force me to interact with people that I don't feel comfortable with? Um, that's, that's the nature of community in, in, in some regards. 
Now, you can let your blood pressure drop because I'm not going to have you do something that crazy or that over the top yet. Um, would you agree this, with this statement that, that close is not the same as connected? There's two very different things that go on when you're close versus really, really being connected. And we live in a country and we actually live in a, in a time, not just the, the, the nation that we live in, but this time that we live in um, actually really fights community. It, 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 it has some enemies of community that I think are just ever-present. If we're not fighting it, we're kind of getting sucked into it. Individuality and isolation are things that are, that are just kind of promoted in our, in our land. I used to be an architect major for a short while, and um, I really love to look at houses. I love to think about design and stuff. And in our, uh, in our neighborhood, in fact, when I was a kid, I used to go to the Stop and Go, and Stop and Go is now about 20 homes that they fit into this kind of plot of land not far from our, from our house. And these are single-family units, you know, homes that are, that are there, and um, they're really kind of cute little homes. And what's interesting about them is this, so I've, I've really been paying attention to this over the last few weeks, is that even in our architecture, we, we design homes in America, at least most places I've lived, that have, um, they, they almost have a facade front yard, and most people, many people, spend a lot of time in the backyard. We, we like our privacy. We like being in the home or in our backyard. And the front, what's interesting about these homes, they're a couple of years old, brand new, you know, and yet they've designed this, this cute little porch on the front with a little railing, and it's picture perfect. I mean, you could just take a picture, and it's just, it's beautiful. But what's interesting is it gives the illusion that people hang out there, but no one really hangs out there. It's basically a facade. My wife and I walk that particular part of the neighborhood, oftentimes on Friday mornings. And we'll go walking through the neighborhood, and we'll never see people. And even on the weekends, I drive by this thing all the time. I've never seen people sitting on these porches. Now, right around the corner from there are some other new homes, same exact setup. I'm assuming there's people there. Because the car pattern's different. Sometimes there's a car in the driveway, sometimes not. This one home even has, you know how beach cruiser bikes are kind of back in right now? You just see them everywhere, and they're just really cool. This one home, I swear they bought a beach cruiser bike and put it on the porch because it looks perfectly placed, and it's brand spanking new. And for months I've walked by it, and I don't think it's moved. And I think it's part of the, of, of the decoration. I'm like, that's a trip, you know? It's like we have great community here. But in a way, it's all this facade that's gone on. By the way, simple way to, to, to begin to create community in your neighborhood. I recognize not everyone can do this. But by sheer uh, dynamics of our family, um, we play in the front yard all the time. We just hang out in the front yard a bunch. And we have a backyard, and, and we could hang out back there. We have a courtyard, and sometimes we hang out there. But so much of our time is spent in the front, front yard, and here's what happens. You begin to learn the patterns of people's commute, and you begin to wave to your neighbors and know who they are. Um, our, our house is kind of that house where all the kids from the neighborhood end up, you know, and we'll come home and, you know, uh, I'll, I'll come home from work and I'm like, you know, where are my children? Because you know, it's all these kids eating snow cones on my front lawn. I'm like, where's my kids at, you know? And, and here's how that was accomplished is just by being out front all the time. And everyone who walks by our house, we always have a, a conversation with them. Great little thing just to say, man, here's a, here's a way to get to know your neighborhood is to go be out front. Here's, a, here's another fascinating thing about our culture is that relocation is a huge deal. I spent some time in Colorado Springs. I thought I was going to live there. And, um, and I went out there. When you, when you live in 
in Colorado, um, it, it's, it's interesting because people are from every corner of the U.S. And um, th- there's, there's very few that seem to be from Colorado, you know, born and raised. But they're from all over the place because Colorado is kind of centrally located. And some people were trying to get out west and only made it as far as Colorado, I guess. And there's a certain sense that just like here, there's a lot of relocating going on. And statistics show that most people move, many people in the U.S. move every few years. And other statistics support this idea that when people move, they're often chasing, catch this, about five to $10,000 more per year in a paycheck. That's it. And so it seems like a good idea for people at times to, 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 to move and to kind of, to kind of keep moving on. But what that's doing is it's actually just tugging and pulling away at some values that are not valued anymore. And that is longevity and, and just this, this idea of, of, of staying put. Those are not necessarily preached or communicated as a great thing. And yet those are the things necessary. Those are the qualities necessary for a deep community to happen. I think what happens sometimes is some people move into here. I've realized that ministering here is a, an extra saying goodbye to people. It's greeting them. It's getting to know them. It's starting to walk down life with them, but understanding that, that many of them will leave. Some move out here for the job and go, man, it's not what I thought it was, or it's really hard being away from family. And I agree with that. I probably would be the same way. But what happens is sometimes people move so much that they come in and they begin to put out the effort, but they go, you know what? Either I'll be gone in two years or they'll be gone in two years. And at some point we can get kind of cynical in our thinking and say, what's the point? And so we don't go deep with, with community. One of the other things that uh, I think people make a mistake of doing, in fact, I was just on a bike ride with a friend two days ago, and we're just catching up. And um, he moved out to kind of Central Valley. And um, I think a lot of people make this mistake. They pour all kinds of energy, time, and studies, and dollars into finding just the right house instead of, instead of putting any effort into finding the right neighborhood and really paying it, a, a, attention to and what's the community that I'm going to provide for my family? What are the schools that are there? What are the things that we're going to be, be doing there? One of our heartbeats has been, God, keep us in a place long enough to get over the, the polite stage of things. And God's answered that prayer for us so far in ministry and in life. But this, this buddy of mine, he said, you know what? I got this great house. I could afford a great house out in the Central Valley. He said, but you know what? All my joy was sapped away from me. He said, I, I realized a couple things while being out there. A, you don't need 3,500 square feet. That's just a lot to keep clean. He said, he said secondly, what, what, I, what I realized was is that we had done that exact thing. We had, we had found the right house. We did all these studies to make sure it was the right house. But we didn't think much at all about the neighborhood. And so guess what? They moved back here to where they had community. And for them, taking their house size, cutting it in half, made a ton of sense, and they did it joyfully and gladly. Community is something that we all need. Let me just give a quick self-test for, for you guys. Um, let me just ask you to, to write down on your, on your piece of paper, I want you to write down as many names as you can of the people that immediately border your home. So across the street, I want your closest neighbors, and I want close by proximity, not by relationship. So name your, your closest neighbors. Try and write the names of the people that live across the street from you. Try and write the names of the people who live next to you. 
to the left of you. If you live in an apartment, it's cool because it's like the Brady Bunch. You've got them all over the place. Whoever's touching your house roughly, just write their names down, okay? That's question number one. Here's question number two. You don't have to write this down, but I want you to think about this one. What does the inside of their home look like? Just ne- next door to each one of these names, write down either a question mark, like I have no idea, or write down, yeah, I kind of know, or yeah, I totally know the inside of their house. Here's the third question. This is the last one. Third question is this. What are their biggest desires and what are their biggest needs? Do you see this is getting increasingly harder? Aren't you glad there's only three questions? It would have gotten really hard after, after question four. To know their names is one thing. And, and I understand that for some people, you've only lived in your place a short time, or in some places, you just it's hard to even see people there. You're like, I know there must be people, but I don't know where they are. But that's one level of reaching out to, to people and forming community, right, is to understand people's names. Part of why we have name tags. I don't have one on this morning. But part of why we have name tags is that's a very low-level, fundamental way of saying, you're an individual and I care about you individually. It is work for me to learn names. It doesn't just come naturally to me. But that's one thing that I know I can do is to extend to Greg that I, that I know his name and say, hi, Greg, how are you doing? And it's okay if you, if you do it this way at first. Hi, Jonathan, how are you doing? That's why we have name tags. That's okay. Do that with your neighbors. Just being inside the home of someone else, again, that's a, that's a new level, and that takes a little bit more time. I understand that. To really know their desires and their greatest fears and their, and their, and their greatest needs right now, that takes real relationship, doesn't it? And here's the thing. I think we can go years and years sometimes, perhaps, and feel like, well, we know their names. We brought them cookies when they first moved in. We pray for them all the time, but we don't have the first clue about what to pray for them about beyond just that God would bless them or God would reveal himself to them or or whatever else. It could be a lot worse. You could live in Adele's neighborhood. Let me just read this short story that I found. It can never be said that Adele Gabbery's neighbors were less than responsible. When her front lawn grew hip high, they had a local boy mow it down. When her pipes froze and burst, they had the water turned off. When the mail spilled out the front door, they called the police. The one thing they didn't ever do was check to see if she was alive. She wasn't. On Monday, the police climbed her crumbling brick stoop, broke the side door of her little blue house, and found what they believed to be a 73-year-old woman's skeletal remains, where they had apparently lain uh, perhaps as many as four years. It's not really a very friendly neighborhood, said said Eileen Dugan, (laughs) 70, once a close friend of, of Gabbary's, whose house sits less than 20 feet from the dead woman's home. I'm as much to blame as anyone. She was alone and needed somebody to talk to, but I was working two jobs, and I was sick of her coming over at all hours. Eventually, I stopped answering the door. Now, we could all look at that and say, gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> but we can also probably identify with that neighbor. Depending on how we just did at that, at that question and answer thing, how about the next door neighbor that's the, the, whose home is on the verge of utter collapse relationally? And we don't have a clue about it because we've never really gone and checked in on them or, or invested the time on them. 
Now, that's just our immediate neighborhood. I read the words in Scripture that say, love your neighbor as yourself, and I cannot get past the fact that that means literally my neighbors. We will not, as a church, get past the fact that we share a fence line with John Muir Middle School. Those are our neighbors. The people across the street are our neighbors. That's not metaphorical. That doesn't mean those people in your general proximity who are sort of like you and that you can tolerate. I have to look at that and say, that means literally my neighbors. Beyond that, we're talking about the church here. Two kind of big ideas that I want to talk to you about are unity and the idea of growth, both of which happen and require community. The whole idea of, um, of unity is something that the, the scriptures repeatedly call us to, repeatedly calls us to say strive for. It doesn't just come naturally, does it? I was thinking this week about puzzles, and I don't often think about puzzles, just so you know. Um, but this particular week, it kind, of, it kind of hit me that the idea of, of being uh, close and the idea of being connected are two different things. If you take a look at this, this um, just so you know, this is a gemstone fairy puzzle. This is what happens when you have girls. Um, never had a gemstone fairy puzzle in my home when I was growing up. Um, but as you can clearly see, there's a box of puzzle pieces. They're close, right? They all fit within these four corners of this box. And as I sat here thought, thinking about puzzles, I thought, man... Isn't it true that we can look all around and bemoan all the lack of community going on in our culture and we can look at the church and think we're doing pretty good? Whereas in reality, the church sometimes has these same four walls with a bunch of people close together thinking they're experiencing community. And we can look around and say, man, this isn't what I feel like the New Testament talks about when it speaks of community. There must be something more. It's, it's really fun for me. I, I love to study the Bible and pray and think about what God would have me share. Uh, once in a while, um, you know, oftentimes when I'm out looking for it, God just shows things. And God shows up in powerful ways. Sometimes when you're totally not looking for it, God just takes a truth and he just dumps it on you. And it's really rewarding when that happens. Saturday morning, I was sitting in my chair, drinking some coffee, reading wasn't thinking about the message at all. wasn't planning on anything going on here. I was just reading through the book of Philippians. And obviously I had the word community in my mind. And God, what do, we, what do you want to say to us as a church? And here are the words that I read. I didn't pick Philippians for any other reason than it just seemed like a good book to read that morning. Here it is. Ready? Paul talking. One thing I do. Simple. Focused. Clear. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. How many of you, how many of you have heard that verse before? Raise your hand. That's, that's a fairly common verse. That's a verse that we hear. And, and I hear that and I go, man, that sounds awesome. I want to be that same way, Lord. Make me like Paul. Make me just forgetting what's behind and straining on ahead toward the upward call of Christ Jesus. That sounds heroic. That sounds John Wayne. That sounds individual if you think about it in some ways. Here's a lesser known verse that's three verses later. Join with others. 
Verse 17. Philippians chapter 3. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. I read that on Saturday morning, and here's what jumped off the page into my face. Life together. That's exactly what community groups are all about, is just living life together. And what jumped off the page to me were those words, join with others. As you're doing this, as you're straining on ahead, join with others in doing it. Don't just be proximity close to other people that you're all doing your own thing and moving in one direction, but actually join with other people in doing this. That's what jumped off the page to me. Isn't it sweet when God provides an answer to you and provides an insight to you when you're not even looking for it? That's what happened to me Saturday morning. I look at the church sometimes and I think, man, we're close, but we're so far from what God calls us to do and to be. Let me toss out to you um, three things that are essential for Christian community. These are in your notes. You can write down the one word that's missing and the scriptures are, are, are there as well. There's all kinds of community that can be there, but what, what's, what sets Christian community apart from all the others? What is God really calling us to? Here's one, is that Christian community embraces a common belief and purpose. Ephesians 4, 4, you can follow along in your notes. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you get the idea that there's a common purpose there? Number two is this. That love for spiritual family flows from the Father. One of the things that sets Christian community apart is this. It is not you trying your best to love other people. It is you mimicking, and because you've been shown love by God, you now have a model to, to show to other people. Love in the same way God's loved you. That's always the standard that we go back to as Christians. Therefore, there's a never-ending supply, a never-ending rejuvenating motivation and picture of what it looks like. God, I can't forgive this person. And the Holy Spirit gently whispers this. Of all the things that you've been forgiven for, surely you can, you can forgive this person. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to forgive them as much as I've forgiven you. And what you find yourself is a pool of a mess and you realize you're totally undone and you go, okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. Their, their debt against me is really not that big anymore when I think about that. But you're going to have to go with me. You're going to have to be with me in this. <clears throat> love for spiritual family flows from the Father. 1 John 3.14 says this, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Rather than resting on our own effort, willpower, or how nice other people are to us, the glue of Christian community is, is God in us, working in us and through us. And that's evidence. Isn't that evidence? When you, when you bear with one another, isn't it evidence when you find yourself growing in fruits of the Spirit, and you just realize that, that this, is, this is coming from somewhere else. That somewhere else is Christ in you. And it's a powerful testimony to the fact that, that God's at, at work in you. 
Number three is this. The Christian community exists for the benefit of those not yet in the community. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find real community that exists for those who aren't yet in the community. That's different. That's otherworldly. That's supernatural. Philippians 1.27 says this, Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news. Not flinching or dodging at the slightest, uh, in, in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. Do you understand that for us in the community, that when we gather here, as we gather, as we celebrate, as we grow, we're doing so on a mission. We know that. We talk about that all the time. And yet church after church after church, and we are no different, struggles with this constant kind of inward pull to take everything and focus it inward. Resources, inward. Attention, inward. Spare time to to love someone, inward. Service projects, inward. And it's a constant fight to say, we're going to yield what we could gather here and we're going to just scatter it to the neighborhood and trust that God's going to bless that. We fit together as a church. When we join with one another as a church, this clear picture becomes evident. Here's a cute little kid's puzzle that we've had as a background. But that's the church. That's the church. It's the Good Samaritan. It's the person you'd least think is, is, is most likely to go and help the person on their knees going the extra mile to make absolute sure that that person is rescued and cared for and provided dignity. People see this picture of the church. I promise you, we wouldn't have enough chairs on a Sunday morning to hold the people that would say, I have to come be a part of what's going on at this church. I'll tell you one of my absolute favorite reports that I get on a, on a, on a midweek out here in my office. We have had, I don't even know how many, not a hundred, but more than ten. We've had so many people that just have come in and said, um, we wanted to find out more about this church because so-and-so was caught helping so-and-so and and I had to find out what church they went to. I was at Safeway and and I, I went and I engaged in a conversation with this guy and as I heard him start to talk, I just had to ask, what church is it you go to? And so they come and, and they found out that it was, it was this church. Now, they didn't just on the spot yield their will and accept Christ and say, where do I sign up? But I love those stories. God's doing something when, when those kinds of things are, are happening. I think the clear picture that, it, that emerges brings honor and glory to Christ. When we are unified, when we, when we are, are functioning the way that the artist intended and you begin to see the picture clearly you go man there's just there's something up with this here's a simple definition a simple definition of community so many different directions we could go with this but here's kind of a simple one faith expressed through love faith expressed through love john in the in the gospel of first john he just pulls no punch, punches with this he just says don't Don't say that you love God and hate your brother. 
If you do that, you're lying. It's plain and simple. So, so, so don't, don't come and just have a worship experience and say, I'll put up with the people around me, but I'm certainly not going to love them. That's bogus. Greg and I were having a conversation in my office this week, and we were talking about worship and community and share and how, in some ways, putting community groups on the community word is a little bit misleading. Because we want every community group to be all about worship, community, and share. We want them to be mini churches, so to speak. And that when we gather here as a, as a large church, it's really kind of a, a collection of smaller, smaller gatherings of the body of Christ that are out just infiltrating and, and blessing the neighborhood the, the, the way that it should be. And what we did was we, we kind of drew circles. Here's, here's worship, and here's community, and here's share. And where we want people to live is where those three intersect. And Greg just started wondering out loud, what happens if you take worship out of things? And it's just, it's just community. Well, well, then that could be a you know, radio-controlled uh, aircraft club, right? Not a bad thing, but not a church. You know, he, he, said, he said, what if you take the other two away and you just have share? Well, then it becomes kind of a you know, pyramid scheme marketing you know, selling thing, Amway or, or whatever else, where you're trying to get your product out there or, or whatever else, or a social agency where you're just out you know, serving things. What if it's just worship and there's no community and there's no share? What happens is if you take any one of those away from it, it gets really weird and cult-like and unglorifying to God. Really, all three components are necessary. Faith expressed through love. We're going to spend the last few minutes before we break in, in, with this question. Why is it necessary? I think the best motivator for a child of God who's got the Holy Spirit and a regenerated heart, here's the best motivator, because God said so. Honestly, I think if we're at a place of maturity... All, all sermons would just be like five minutes. We just read what it is, and we just say, "Now just go do it," and we just get on with it. But if you're like me, we need reminders sometimes, and we we need to be kind of drawn into that a little bit. A great motivator for a mature believer of why to keep pressing on when it's stinking hard to get along with people is because we're commanded to. We're commanded to. You don't have a choice. You laid your will down at the cross, and Jesus said, here's what it involves. It involves striving for that unity. It's being intent on that one purpose. And of course it's going to be hard. Love one another. But let's unpack it just a a little bit. One of the brilliant designs that I think God did as He created a church and said, you know, each each piece is is going to kind of look a little bit different. And, and, and as, he, as he brings people together, and they go, well, you look a little different than me, but we all look kind of similar, and this, that, and the other thing. It's different when we're together than, we're, than when we're joined together. Here's one of the fascinating things about unity and about community that God's called us to, is that there are only so many lessons and growth points you can experience flying solo. Said another way, uh, and I I love this, is that we is more powerful than we. Think about your own spiritual formation. If your spiritual formation, you become a Christian, you realize what the gospel is all about, you realize you're the person in the story that needs forgiveness, God breaks you, opens up your heart, you you trust Him, you say, God, I I believe, forgive me my sins, I'm going to follow you the rest of my days. You get baptized even. 
You start to read the Scriptures. You start to open up God's Word and read. Your spiritual formation only goes so far by yourself. How many of you in this room, I want to see your hands. How many of you in this room thought, I'm talking to married people here, thought that you were pretty selfless before marriage? Let me see your hands. My hand shoots right up at that. Keep your hand up if you still think you're selfless, especially after year one and two of marriage. You know, you know, you know what marriage did for me? It was like, hey, wake up, buddy. You're not nearly as selfless as you thought you were. It's pretty easy to live with yourself and, 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 you know, and, and put it on for certain periods of time. But one of the things marriage taught me was you are not nearly as selfless as, 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 as you think you are. You have a ton to, to grow there. That depth of lesson I couldn't have learned apart from being married to my, to my bride. Here's question number two. Those of you who have kids. How many of you, as a cute, gallivanting young couple, thought you were pretty patient before kids came along? Okay, I'm just speaking from my life right now. I don't know any of your situations. How many of you still think you're patient after kids? Okay, here we go. Mm. You know what? Kids revealed to me how utterly impatient I am. I never thought I had a short fuse. I never thought I was really that much of an impatient person. But kids come along and reveal something to me that God's got to come in and work on and keeps me at a, at a, at a point of need. We cannot learn something solo. I want you to take your, your sermon notes this morning and flip them over on the back. Look on the back. I haven't put an exhaustive list here. I've put together a little bit of a list. These are some of the one another's in Scripture. Do you understand that you cannot learn or experience or obey in the one another's if you are living an isolated, individualistic life? Even if you come to church and you bebop into church and you get together with other people all doing their same thing, you cannot obey in those areas. Washing one another's feet, loving one another, honoring and preferring one another, not judging one another, receiving one another. On and on the list goes. So much about body life that does not happen if you're apart from other people, if you're out of relationship. Here's a, here's a thought as we, as we are about to break into community groups. That the, the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups that are present in any group any group of people, you take any ten pieces here, okay? And these are us. And you just say, okay, we're going we're gonna to now be a community group. There will be bad habits that annoy the snot out of you. There will be hang-ups in people that just drag the whole group down. There will be hurts that will be uncovered or left covered that will create a funky wave in your group sometimes. And here's the, here's the understatement of the year. They may cause conflict. Okay? Those laughing are those who've been in a, call, in, a, in a small group before in some way, shape, or form. Of course they'll cause conflict. Right? You being different from me is going to cause conflict. But here's the picture. God's design is for us to use that very conflict to grow Christ in us. Do you know why I'm not patient with my kids? Because they're not perfect. And they're not just like me. 
and they don't immediately do everything that I tell them to do. I'd, you know what? Here's the, here's the kicker. I'd still find something wrong with them, even if they did. That's just the heart of man, the heart of woman. And this conflict that's there, these, these things that just go, oh, that person's so hard to love, drives you to your knees and drives you to the Savior and says, God, surely your love is big enough to love them. So love them through me. Love them through me. And so you start to do that. And Christ begins to be grown in you. Our community groups are intended to be Holy Spirit-led laboratories for learning to love one another earnestly and deeply. I close with this question. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? We all know that we need community. The lady walking her dog knew she needed community. But sometimes it's just easier, isn't it? To avoid and not get into that relationship. Not get into it and say, man, I just need a break from all of that. Here's some of why it may be hard. I think we could exhaust this list if we took a few minutes. But bottom line is that we're selfish. I don't care if it's a marriage relationship or a community group. You have to look in the mirror today. I have to look in the mirror today and say, I am selfish. I look out for me. That's my natural fleshly desire. Here's some other things that kind of creep up. There's certain expectations that others can fix us. Maybe if I just join this group, gosh, someone came up and gave a great testimony about, about debt reduction, and, and I need debt reduction. I'm going to join this group. When it doesn't fix you, you're frustrated. You start blaming the leaders. You start blaming the program. You start blaming everything else. When small groups don't fix you, when others don't fix you, it's really easy to get frustrated by that and shift blame onto them. Instead of just looking and saying, God, help me. I am a selfish creature, and I have things that you need to heal and you need to fix. And praise God, we have community group leaders who are willing to wade into the deep end with people's lives and say, we're in process with you, but we want you to come alongside. We cannot do this alone. Very quickly, I want to blitz through some things that community groups are not a quick fix to. Joining a community group does not solve the following problems. Your battle against temptation. Sometimes, misleadingly so, people have said, just join a community group, get some good accountability. Guess what? The battle will rage on for your sins. It will rage on day in and day out. Sometimes it's easy to get pretty good at lying to your accountability partner, and now you're heaping shame and guilt upon shame and guilt. And the enemy's just having a field day with that. Your battle with sin will not magically disappear in a community group. Secondly, your feelings of isolation. Often you can feel disillusioned by joining a small group with the expectation that it will, it will cure your loneliness. A lot of times people joining a community group confide in me later, man, I still felt lonely. In fact, it made it worse. Why did it make it worse? Because now people were in a close proximity and I had every opportunity and I felt like more of a failure that I couldn't connect with people. Do you see why this takes a lot of prayer? I've just been, I mean, there's a lot of people who've been just praying for this Sunday as we launch into some community groups. Because it's a spiritual battle. Thirdly, your propensity towards self. I already talked about this a lot. But unless your group keeps an outward focus, not at first, but, but, but eventually, all groups tend, to, tend to, 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 to turn inward. And when someone gets up in front and, and says, man, we've got to split this group. We've got to keep outward focused. Who else needs to join this group? The, all the opposition start to arise. But they'll, they'll probably change the, the dynamic. I really like these people. What if people join that I don't like? It's been a lot of hard work to get to this place. On and on it goes. And eventually, five years out, we will be a church of exactly the same faces that are in this room. 
except for those of you who've moved away. Here's what community groups are. Community groups are a great way to, to take a step forward toward really being involved in one another's lives. If you've been in a community group before and you said, I've tried that, try it again. Give us a shot at it here. Greg said this really eloquently. This is not the only place community takes place. It better not be. But this is a great catalyst for it. Maybe apart from serving together on a week-by-week basis, which, which some teams around this church have, aside from maybe that, there's, there's, there's no better way to just be in, involved in people's lives, looking at them at least once a week and just saying, hey, how's that situation going? How's it, how's it, how's it happening with, with that? I've been praying for you, sister. I've been praying for you, brother. When needs arise, we know them because we know each other. Here's what else community groups are. They're modeled in Scripture. There's a whole, quote-unquote, new thing in the last five years, house churches. They're not new. House churches and meeting at the temple have been as old as the Christian idea was born with the, with the new baby church. So, the, so this whole idea of a, of a house church or, or a group, I'm all for that. People go, don't you, we, we think we should have all house churches. I go, man, I totally agree. Let's do that and then meet together on Sunday and share about the great things God's doing. I don't see them at odds with each other at all. They're modeled in Scripture. Community groups are dependent on the participants for their success or failure. Catch that. If you look around at a community group and it's not going well, turn it inward and say, what am I not doing to help create community here? Maybe it's the stability and longevity of just trying to stick it out together. Sometimes those who have no friends aren't very good friends to people. Isn't that a great way to build friendships? Be a good friend. Don't be all about yourself. Actually care about someone. That's step one to being a good friend. The rise or fall of a good community, of a good community group isn't pinned solely on the leader. It's on the participants who are a part of it. Lastly, this. Community groups are a practical obedience to the command in Scripture to be growing in the, in the loving one another's. We have two main programs here. What we're doing right now, coming together to worship and community groups that happen all throughout the week. Ten different community groups this morning are going to be set up all around the campus for you to go pursue and and relationship with. We don't know how to make this any easier to get an on-ramp invitation into the community and body life of this church. Even if you say, man, right now there's no possible way, I would just challenge you, go and talk to that person and find out maybe maybe it's going to be in two months then. We're going to end the service with this. Come on up, Greg. Kind of our action step, kind of our application step this morning is going to be for us, community groups, uh, you're going to be, our community group leaders, you're going to be given instructions in just a second from Greg. But our action step to this morning, we're not done with the service yet. You're not dismissed yet. Our action step is to put feet to what we know to be true in the Scriptures. And that is that we're called to love one another. It's an act of your will, and I would just challenge you to, to do that. Greg's got some instructions for us. Take it away. Amen. Thank you for awesome, awesome encouragement toward community in our lives. And, and just the main point that I was just thinking as he, as he was talking is, is really it is all about love. And it's only, as he said, the, the Father's love flowing through us, through the Holy Spirit. 
And some people, you know, we were talking about community groups, like, well, I really want to be known, but I don't want them to know my business. I don't want people to, like, really dig deep because that's, that's too hard. And, and you can't have both. You can't, like, be known but not be known too much. Like, that doesn't really work all that well. You get sort of superficial relationships. And the main thing is, is if you want to be known, like, you need other people to love you. And trust me, we all need people to love us past our rough edges, past our hard parts. As he said, I don't know if it's up. The slide before I had those two, two people holding hands and two people trying to beat each other up. Like that, that's sort of community groups at times. But, but the Holy Spirit helps us love other people, and the Holy Spirit helps other people love us when we're like that thorn sometimes. And we really need that. Uh, and community groups, and I think, uh, as I said, the ministry teams in other places, we can just really, you know, we can come together and God's Holy Spirit can change us and mold us to be more Christ-like, which is really the point of all of church. Anyway, to get this done, I, I, want, I can't go against all the things like, well, community groups sound great, and so I'm not going to spend like you know, 10 minutes trying to knock down all of your inhibitions. I'm just, I don't have time for that. But as you said, you know, we're trying to love each other, and we're trying to be loved, and that's the main thing. One thing I do want to tell you really quick, though, is what it means if you write your name down on one of these lists. It is not like a lifelong commitment to this community group. It's not even a one-year commitment to a, a community group. All it is is for you to write your name down so you can be contacted by the leader. So they can give you a little bit more information about what it is, maybe have a one-on-one -on -one phone conversation or you know, give you some more details about when and where and what the group's all about. So that's all you're committing to if you write down your name on a piece of paper. We really want people to write, to write it down. So community group leaders, you can, you can get close to your, your tables there so we can do sign-ups. And the other thing is if you're already in a community group, then just look at one of your neighbors and encourage them to be in a community group. Or think about, as Dave said, your physical neighbors. Who also needs to be in community? Because God's, as he said, God's church isn't so we can just stay the same size five years later. It's so more people can join God's kingdom and more people can be in his love. All right. So let me just pray as we end. And then we'll just spend the next five or ten minutes. You don't have to go get your kids right away. You don't have to go mill out of here right away. You can just spend some time figuring out where you can be a part of community here at Neighborhood Bible Church. All right. Heavenly Father, we praise your name that you've made us uh, worshipers of you, but you've also made us to be in and one each other's lives. You, you sent people out two by two. You told us to come together, and where two or three are there, you are also there, Lord. You've made us to be a part of community. And we just want to take this time just to dedicate our lives to just in our hearts to say, yes, I need to seek out community. I need to find places where I can be known and I can know others, and we can encourage each other and live this life that you want us to live. I pray that you just bless the, the children's people and um, volunteers who are just helping. They're, they're, they're forming community right now you know, with the small, the small kids as they teach them, as they pray with each other. And we just thank you that this is just uh, a part of the DNA at Neighborhood Bible Church, that community is really important. We make time and space for it to flourish and to happen, Lord. So just bless us as we go this, this afternoon. And um, we thank you for all that you've done in our life, Jesus. Amen.